it's different nowadays but Don't anyway <laughs> um thank you for joining me yeah it's a pleasure to be here i love coming down to florida yeah and uh, it's good to see you finally face to face after a couple years of uh of the pandemic so it's good to be here yeah it's been I don't know how long it's been. I guess since probably the last time I saw you was up in Montreal. Yes, exactly. Four yeah. years ago, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, exactly. it's, uh, it's been a minute. When but... you're still at uh, Flight Dogs. I think yeah. it was even prior to the ATP uh, yeah, it was. Uh, acquisition. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but um, good to see you. Thanks for coming down. How's the trip going so far? It's fantastic. Um, Uneventful, and that's what we like to hear. That's good. Uh, <laughs> when you're flying. Sure. Um, but maybe you could start with just like a quick intro for those who don't know you. Um, maybe just a little bit about yourself, a little sure. bit about your uh, your organization, and we'll take it from there. Sure. Okay. So, uh, you know, Patrick O'Brien, um, I'm a manager of flight ops at, uh, at ExecCare. Um, you know, ExecCare is part of the Inatech ExecCare Aviation Group. And that group has quite a few different pieces to it. Uh, we have aircraft management, aircraft charter sales, we have aircraft sales, we have uh, in-service uh, MIIR, which is um, maintenance, inspection, installation, and refurbishment, which is kind of like an MRO. Sure. NDT, uh, non-destructive testing. We do a lot of airline support for, um, you know, Google wire, uh, Wi-Fi. And uh, we also have um, a couple FBOs up in Canada. So, um, you know, pretty, pretty... Um, sprawling um, company in terms of, uh, you know, the services that we offer. Um, and uh, the Intech Executive Aviation Group is actually part of IMP Group, which is a conglomerate company based at Halifax. Uh, it has about 3,500 employees. And, uh, you know, they do, they have a pretty big aviation arm, but they're also into real estate development, healthcare, um, IT development, and all that kind of stuff. So a huge, a uh, huge conglomerate um, organization. So, but for me, uh, me personally, I mean, I've been at ExecCare for 10 years now. Um, I got into ExecCare after finishing my university. Um, you know, I was kind of, when I came out of university, I was kind of a guy with, didn't know really what he wanted to do. I mean, sure. honestly, <laughs> I, I, I did a bachelor's degree in biology um, and then I did uh, my commercial pilot's license at the same time. And so I came out of there, I was like, okay, what do I want to do exactly? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, lots of credit to my parents. They pushed me back into school, which parents uh, usually do. Yeah. And uh, I went back and I did my MBA uh, as well. So I, when I finished that, uh, I kind of, um, I had a, for the MBA, you have to do an internship with a company. And okay. uh, so I kind of just, you know, threw out my CV to a whole bunch of companies that did private aviation, airlines and all that kind of stuff. And I just wanted to see, you know, if someone came back and said, you know, I'd be interested in having you. And, uh, you know, funny enough is uh, Exec Air came back and uh, they brought me in as an intern for four months. I did some fuel procurement for them and stuff like that, project management. And uh, when I finished my MBA after the internship, you know, they brought me back and uh, yeah, I've been there ever since. I started on the business side doing finance and, uh, you know, project management. Okay. And uh, then, you know, I knew my passion was in the aviation and the flight ops side. Sure. And, uh, from, you know, from a young age, that's what I wanted to do. And I had my commercial pilot's license. So they sent me to Africa for two years to fly um, some of the, for their operation in Africa. And then I came back, flew uh, the Lear 60 out of Toronto. 
And now I've integrated into uh, manager flight ops. And, you know, my job there is really logistical management for the aircraft, uh, permit management. Um, you know, essentially we're the, you know, the brains of the operation, I guess you could say. Sure. the central brain. So we coordinate uh, my group, the group that I supervise. We do the client service side. So we have a team of people that uh, work with the client to build the mission. Mm -hmm. um, then as part of my group too, we have uh, what we call our trip support group. And their job is to kind of acquire services for the airplane. So the FBO, customs, all that kind of stuff at the best value. Sure. Um, and that's really something that we spent a lot of time and effort on recently is uh, acquiring services at uh, the best value for our clients. Mm -hmm. And then we have our dispatch group and their job is to, um, you know, flight follow. So it's day of operations within, uh, you know, 24 hour period. They do the flight planning, flight following and stuff like that. You know, and, um, you know, I also get to fly as well, which is uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, when the office life gets stressful, I can just, uh, you know, fly <laughs> fly off for a couple of days. So, uh, you know, uh, that's uh, something I insist on um, at Exec Air is uh, the ability to, to, to actually fly. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and, you know, a lot of the guys and uh, people that come on the show, um, you know, they always kind of have the same beginning, right? Or they, they, they're, they're so they've built products because they've been in the operation yeah. and they really understand, you know, what, what are the problems? And, um, you know, for me, it's the same thing is, uh, how am I supposed to manage a flight operation when I don't know what the team does? Sure. You know? So being able to fly, I touch everything. I, I, you know, being a pilot on the, on the aircraft, we, we touch the customer service side. So we know if things on the customer service side aren't doing very well. We know mm -hmm. if things on the trip support side aren't doing well, and we know if things on the dispatch side aren't doing well. So it really allows me to kind of, you know, test, test our group out and make sure that we're delivering on the, on our, on our service standards. So cool. It's a long, uh, long answer. No, but, uh, no worries. I think that was uh, very informative and, and, a, and a perfect answer. Excellent. Um, and so you're, you're, you currently fly a Challenger 605. 605. Very cool. Um, and, you know, we got linked up, I don't know how long ago, probably six, seven years ago or I think so. Almost. I think when I started Exec Air, 2013, probably. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was an, it was so funny. I, I remember the, I remember that day distinctly <laughs> because I came down into the maintenance office and there was this brochure sitting on the table mm. and uh, the person there told me, oh yeah, there was this guy and he just came and he dropped this brochure off and he wanted to meet with people and whatever. And uh, obviously they didn't grant you an audience because yeah. <laughs> all that was there was the brochure at the time. <laughs> so I opened the brochure and, you know, the rest is history at that point. Um, you know, talking about technology, uh, you know, um, we, that's one of the things that I do regret is not being able to, you know, implement uh, flight docs in our organization as of yet. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, but, you know, I think we, what was interesting is that even though we actually didn't do a deal over all of these years, um, I always looked at you guys as, uh, and you in particular, as always being hungry for new technology. And I think that stemmed from, you know, you, just like you just said, being in kind of, you know, understanding the business side of things, actually flying the aircraft, running the flight operations uh, group, you saw the um the impact of technology whether it was a lack of technology and and having a ne negative impact on how things went or you know actually pursuing new technology and seeing what that could do for the business for your people for your customers and yeah. so um maybe you could talk a little bit about maybe your 
your strategy or your outlook on technology and maybe how, you know, in, in getting into flight operations, how you've maybe implemented some things and, and the impact that that's had. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'd add one thing to your, you know, you said, how, you know, how technology kind of improves life or how technology, lack of technology can make life worse. And I would say that there's a third option to that, which is, you know, um, technology making life worse. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, you know, my my biggest belief um, and what's driven me for the last, you know, 10 years in terms of the technological revolution that we're trying to, you know, bring into our operation is the ability to tie yourself with people who have the same mindset, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's, that's the tough part, right? So you need to find people who are, who believe in continuous innovation and people who understand the industry and where it's going and um, how technology can serve the client. Um, you know, cause a lot of times, and we still have that today, we still work with products uh, that, you know, it seems to be the opposite, which is the client serves the software, um, you know, and when it comes time to actually make adjustments to those software systems, the software is so old um, in terms of its infrastructure and, and its architecture that it, it kind of just can't, it can't. Right, sure. <laughs> it just it just can't, <laughs> right? Um, no matter how much motivation, money you throw at it, it's just, it's not there. Uh, it's not up to speed. You know, and I know that you, particularly when you were at Flight Docs, you guys made the decision to, uh, um, rewrite, you know, the core foundation of the entire yeah. product. And, you know, certainly that was probably something that was quite costly, sure. uh, time consuming. And, uh, but, you know, I guess I bet if I was to ask you whether it was the right decision, your answer would probably be yes. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Yes. <laughs> it's funny because uh, when we were, I, you know, honestly, and Execure has been around for since 1955, uh, if I remember correctly. And uh, one of, we, we find boxes a lot of times with paper in it and stuff like that. And one of the things we found the other day was a, uh, a CD-ROM of flake docs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was even before my time. That was probably before your time. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, it's funny, but, you know, it's, it's how technology evolves. And, you know, the thing is, is that I think there are, you know, still products out there that still have that same, you know, CD-ROM, maybe not CD-ROM, yeah, but sure. they're cloud uh, per se, but they're not, they still have the same kind of, you know, backend infrastructure and architecture, and they just can't uh, support, uh, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. And, you know, today, a lot of the issues that we're having is, um, you know, one of the things that I like about flight docs and the things I like about, you know, we use Avianis as well, which mm -hmm. uh, Avianis was bought by Wheels Up a couple of, about a year ago, I guess at this point, um, is that, you know, their product is built on, on API, on the APIs, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of times what we find with legacy companies or legacy software is that the APIs are kind of built as add-ons you know, to kind of tie in with the the, right. the core product, but because they're add-ons and they're not part of the core functionality of the application, they tend to be unmaintained or they don't get, you know, they don't get the development that they deserve to sure. make them better and take advantage of the new tech, the new, you know, uh, features in the product. So you end up kind of tying yourself with an API that is, that is, you know, unmaintained, buggy and stuff like that. Right. Um, so over the last 10 years, that's really what we've been doing. We've been looking at companies. Um, we've been looking at companies uh, to, you know, that have that culture, right? That innovation, that drive to innovate new products, new features that understand the industry, understand, uh, you know, the pain points. 
um, and are able to deliver. Um, you know, we've we've definitely come up to some roadblocks there um, sure. because, you know, a lot of these companies too, because it's aviation, the market is kind of small. You know, they really kind of get into this funk where it's like, well, you know, we have all these great ideas, you know, we want to be innovative, but then it comes time to actually, you know, do the development and it's it, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky industry to be in, um, in that for companies to really continue to build something and continue to deliver on it, right? You need a certain amount of money there to continue to invest. Um, but even within our business aviation community in, in that segment of the market, there are even more segments, right? You have the small corporate flight departments. You have, you know, obviously the the larger charter organizations, the management companies. And so there's a bunch of different features that maybe don't, you know, the core platform is there and kind of can serve everybody, but there's all of these kind of add-ons or additional feature sets that are really only particular to, you know, certain certain customers in the market right and and that presents like from a development standpoint that definitely presents obstacles and from like a go-to-market standpoint that presents obstacles and so i think what we've found is that you know certain companies have kind of built a business model either you know maybe going after the large players or going after the mm. small players and as they're trying to scale their they're running into and in, into issues and in, yeah. in doing that yeah I mean, our industry is is unforgiving in that regard because yeah. it's it's uh, you know <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I was you know listening to one of your guests the other day, and he's like, you know, it would have been easier to build uh, software for yoga studios, right? Mm -hmm. um, because you know, <laughs> the the reality is is that you know, to your point is is every business is different, yeah. you know, in aviation. And we all have our own different regulatory requirements. We have our own, you know, business requirements in terms of what our clients want. And, you know, that's the thing with management, with management uh, companies is that, you know, we strive in, in for each one of our clients to provide them with a curated, very specific experience right. for them. And it's like, okay, well, how do you then translate that into a software package, right? Um, and so what we've done over the last 10 years um, is we've said, okay, well, you know, I'm, I kind of lost patience trying to change the core products mm -hmm. because, you know, they all have their own development timeframe. They all have their own priorities. And, right. you know, you know, Executive is a fairly large management company, uh, you know, in North America. Um, but, you know, even with being, you know, a fairly large uh, company, um, you know, we can talk about customer advisory boards and that kind of stuff, and we can go into detail about that. But, you know, the reality is, is that these companies, they set their own development priorities. Sure. And, you know, it could be two, three years, if, right. maybe, yeah, yeah, that your, your request gets developed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so what we ended up doing is, you know, we have an internal team of developers, and we've decided that we're going to build our business logic into our own products. Um, you know, not to the scale of, you know, outsourcing it, right. uh, or not outsourcing it, but selling it or making it an sure. enterprise, you know, level platform. Um, but, you know, it's, it's pretty inexpensive these days to build, you know, apps 
sure. uh, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So, you know, what we did is we said, well, why don't we, you know, we have the core product. The core product does what it does really well, which is maintenance tracking or, you know, whatever yep. um, at that point. And then we say, okay, well, let's extract from that product the very specific data points that we need. And then we'll build whatever, we'll build an app for our operation that feeds off of these various data points. And then we can craft it into the business logic that we want. So we're not replacing really the core functionality because again, you know, we buy the product because they're the best right. at doing that. Sure. Um, and it would be very costly to replicate a maintenance tracking system. And I'm using that just as an example, but right. you know, it, you know, millions. Building, building full, pro, full like products in house is really not a great option no. for any type of no. uh, business aviation operator. No, no, <laughs> it really is not. Um, so, but what I think has been a winning strategy for us is yeah. that, you know, we said, okay, well, and that's why it's so important for us to tie ourselves with companies that are innovative and, you know, very strong API suites is because, you know, we can, we can then access those, that data and do what we want with it. Yeah. You know, and, you know, that's what we did with the Flags of Care app. So, you know, we built uh, two years ago, we set out, we said, look, you know, the pilots were confronted with a wall of technology. Like it was just crazy. We were, we were talking about the time we're like, okay, so if you want to be a pilot at exec air, you're going to be confronted with, you know, your flight planning tool, your right. maintenance tracking tool, your, you know, hotel tool, your, you know, logbook, your like, or SMS tool. The number of apps that they have oh, to deal with is, is crazy. Yeah. And then, you know, you tie that in with, um, you know, generally speaking, uh, a culture, not a cultural issue, but maybe a generational issue. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we have pilots that, you know, they were not born with iPhones in their hands, like uh, some of us are. Right. So, you know, the, the change management piece there is, is tough. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a recipe for, you know, non-compliance and, and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, we said, well, let's not give them 12 apps and then have to remember 12 usernames. And then your password has to change every 90 days. And it can't be the same password right. you use in the last three <laughs> times. And it's got to contain all these different characters and all that kind of stuff. And then it's multi-factor authentication. You have to open your app every time anyways, you know, so, and that's not going to get any better. The security aspect's not going to change. Right. So we're like, okay, well, why don't we then, you know, hide those 11 products from the pilots because really at the end of the day, they have their core specialities and, mm. and whatever. And then let's just build, you know, the front end piece right. for the pilot, you know? So that's what we did. We have the Flags of Care app and it's on version two now. Version three is going to be coming out in the summer with a whole bunch of really great uh, functionality cool. to it. But, um, you know, so the pilot now, it's all in one place. You know, he can, he or she can kind of log into the app and they see, you know, the flights they're assigned to. They can check in for their flights. They can check their maintenance status. They can check uh, their training status. They can submit SMSs. They can log, log their flight times. Um, you know, they can report customer service issues to us right there. So, you know, from a, you know, daily flight ops kind of piece, the, 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 the pilots just use one app. Right. Um, and we found, you know, we've had an increase in SMSs. Mm -hmm. Um, not necessarily just reactive SMSs, but proactive SMSs as well, you know, mm -hmm. risk analyses, you know, sure. um, because, you know, when we thought about it two years ago, it, we were spot on is that if you make the technology easy to access, you know, you'll have a better adoption of sure. it, and there's no question. Sure. Um, when, when it comes to adoption, because I think that this is something that a lot of operators struggle with as well, um, and I think that you guys typically take a more 
strategic approach to how you how you go about adoption and implementation um you know because you can go out and look for you know the best product out there and you say you run through the demo you know you do your analysis you mm -hmm. compare it to your current products and then you say okay let's pull the trigger on this mm -hmm. um but i've seen you know plenty of actual failures in actually implementing and adopting the technology because there wasn't a plan laid out mm -hmm. to do so. So how what, what's the typical approach? I know that you guys have implemented plenty of platforms. What's your approach to doing that? It's tough. And I would say that uh, my approach from when I started at Execare yeah. uh, to now has changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, uh, I guess, matured perhaps. Yeah. You probably <laughs> went into it saying like, let's just do this. Let's like, just why go. can't we just make this change? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean you don't understand how to turn your phone on or, yeah. you know, whatever? <laughs> right. You have various different levels of you know, people's comfort with technology. And, and at right. the time, you know, when I was younger, I was like, well, what do you mean? I mean, uh, this is just, it's just technology. It's just an iPhone. I mean, it's, it's super easy to use. Yeah, just right? figure it out. <laughs> just yeah. figure it out. Here's the phone. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, the reality is, is that's, that's certainly not how it works. Um, unfortunately, I guess you could say. Um, but I mean, you know, we're, we're going through, we're going through a transition like that right now. I mean, we're, we, we're implementing web manuals. I know web manuals was on your show there uh, sure. a couple episodes ago. And, uh, you know, I really, really believe in, in what web manuals is trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I understand what their, their, their core goal is, the value, the value that they bring. Um, you know, and, and, uh, so we're going through that kind of a transition right now. Um, I think, I think it, it starts, there's a couple of different segments to that. Um, so, you know, the first, the first, um, piece, which is, I think one of the most crucial is, okay, what, you know, don't implement technology just for the purpose of implementing technology, right? So you, you right. need to understand what the value proposition is that that technology is going to bring to your organization, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we went through that with the web manuals platform. It's like, you know, when I first brought the technology to, to the team, it was like, okay, well, you know, this is just like a Dropbox. You know, or we already have right. this. We already have an application like right. this, right? I'm like, no, you're you're missing the point. This is not a distributive tool. Uh, that's not the point. If I wanted a distributive tool, there's hundreds out there that you know are are super efficient. Mm -hmm. um, where the web manual's value lies is in its document control piece and its capability of building workflows and approvals and right. you know um, client feedback. You know, and that's something that we all that we we really want to uh, improve on and not just improve, but, you know, um, drive more value out of it is the, the function in web manuals, which allows users to provide feedback in the, in the document when mm -hmm. that feedback is then tracked and then it goes to the subject matter expert and they can make the change in the document and publish it. And it's all done in one platform. So, you know, we're taking, you know, there's no lack of regulament uh, of, of control documents in an air operation. I mean, you know, sure. it's, yeah. it's, it's mind boggling the amount of regulatory uh, document or control documentation that we have. So, um, you know, there's, there's huge value in the web manuals platform and controlling that process in one spot. So instead of a bunch of, you know, we used to, you know, when we oh, did do <laughs> documents <laughs> flying back and forth you know, in email or, you know, you don't know what version you're on. People turn track changes on in word documents yeah. and it, it's just an, it's a mess. Yep. It's an absolute mess. Um, so, you know, web manuals kind of embodies that entire process flow in one platform. And they are, quite frankly, based on the analysis that we did at the time, the only product that had that yeah. part of it. Uh, There's a lot of products out there that did the distribution on the aviation side, mm -hmm. um, but none of them really kind of spent the time to build the actual 
you know, flow. Sure. So, so I guess, you know, stage one in the implementation is always, you know, what value are we trying to drive out of this, this, this platform, mm-hmm. right? If we're not going to drive value out of the platform, then, you know, the users are not, are, are not dumb. You know, at the end of the day, they're going to look and they're going to like, oh, what am, what am I doing this? It's not right. making my life easier. It's not, you know, it's just something I have to learn and not change. Right. So I think that's critical is understanding the value and communicating that value. Um, and making sure during the implementation that we never lose sight of that as the goal, right? Sure. It's implementing those that value proposition. So that's number one, you know, and probably the most difficult uh, mm-hmm. part of, of of it, you know. And then you know when we kind of move into it, you know, with the web manuals project, uh, project we kind of looked at it and we're like, okay, well, we need to we the end user really is is you you gotta. You know, on a, and you know, when you were at Flight Docs, you know, apps, they go through tons of testing and regression testing, right? And bugs and all that kind of stuff. So you gotta, and at the beginning, this is something that I usually, I used to fail on quite, (laughs) quite spectacularly was we would kind of throw a product into the user base that wasn't hundred percent configured or, you know, we hadn't gone through all of the, you know, the necessary steps to, to vet it and right. make sure that it was set up properly. So then it would go to the users and the users are like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Like, right. uh, this is not working. Uh, it's terrible. You know, I'd like the old product. And then as soon as you set that perspective, it's very difficult to go back and say, Hey, okay, by the way, yeah. okay, this is what it should have done. And right. That's a conversation you don't want to have. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with web manuals, we've really taken our time and we've said, let's make sure that we have a very small beta group. We test it for as long as necessary, no rush. Um, and make sure that we get it all straight. And then once all that's done, then we can go to the user group. And then on the user group side, you know, uh, you know, aviation technology, like if you use newer technology, but that's more widespread, like a QuickBooks or stuff like that, a lot of times now they've really spent a lot of effort on in, um, kind of, um, I don't know what the actual uh, technol- te- technological term for it is, but they have like in-app experiences where you, they like show you where to click. Yeah, sure. Guided walkthroughs yeah, and things exactly, like that. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. You know, aviation is light years from that, uh, behind, Yeah. right? I mean, yeah. we, we don't have that. So you really have to put together a, a very strong tr- uh, training plan. Um, so what we've started doing is kind of what you were doing at Flight Docs is we put together a lot of instructional videos, mm-hmm. um, you know, because it takes it takes so much time to build like um, uh, CBT courses, right. you know, on how to use a product and stuff yep. like that, right? So, you know, we're a small, medium enterprise at that point. We don't have the, you know, necessarily the resources all the time to really say, okay, we're going to implement web manuals. Let's create this really sure. integrated CBT course that guides people through it and all that kind of stuff. So it really, we started building videos for the, for the pilots, you know, short, you know, yeah. because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pilots, I can say this, pilots, we do not have a great attention span. <laughs> so sure. If the video is longer than five minutes, you've lost me already. Sure. So really short, little short videos of, of how to do things, um, you know, and, and we've really also, you know, even on, on Erin Direct, for example, you know, we use Erin Direct very complicated, not complicated, but a very powerful tool. Right. There's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. Yeah. So, no one's going to listen to me blab on for an hour about airing direct. Right. Right. So what we're, what we're trying to do is build these kind of bite-sized pieces that pilots can say, oh, well, you know, here's a video on oceanic plotting charts. Right. You know, it's seven minutes or whatever it is. 
if you're going to go across the ocean, you haven't been there for the last two years because of the pandemic. Well, here, go take a look at this video and, you know, brush up on it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think those really are the three, the three steps. And, you know, a lot of times we tend to rush technological implementation mm -hmm. and, and that really is, is the worst thing to do. Right. Yeah. And just a, a quick mention for, you know, some of the, the software providers out there that there are platforms, there's technology that you can buy. I think a lot of companies always are thinking about, you know, if I'm a software provider, I have to build everything in-house. It's particular to our product, but there are products out there. We used a product that, uh, we implemented probably about two years ago called Walk Me. Okay. And it was something that laid right on top of Flight Docs, right inside of the platform. And actually you could build, and this was, we had our customer service and our training managers actually build these walkthroughs so that when you logged into the app, it popped open and said, hey, do you, what do you want to, you know, you could type in, I want to build a log book entry. And it would actually step you through the process of going in yeah selecting your items, adding it to the log book entry, putting in your compliance. Wow. So there are some cool products out there for, for people if they're interested in exploring. I think in general, there's a lot that now today, even in comparison to like when we rebuilt our system and going back to 2015, the backend technology, the APIs that are available, there's there's a lot out there that's kind of like much more plug and play than yeah. um, than you know even three to five years ago. Yeah. So, the the other question I had for you is around uh, like as a project owner or a manager, I've found that that's a real key piece to implementing is that if you don't have somebody that's responsible for like, you know, kicking it off and actually seeing it to completion. Yeah. That's another area for, for failure. Yeah. I think you're totally right. Um, but you know, what I've found too is, uh, I mean, I was a project manager for a long time at Execare and, and, you know, you know, one of the things that, um, everybody is too busy to improve. Mm -hmm. all the time. Right. Yeah. And, and as a project manager, you know, and, and, and the smaller your company gets, the, the, the more that problem accentuates itself. Mm -hmm. Right. So in a small aircraft operator, um, or even a medium or large aircraft operator, you know, in aviation in general, resources are a tight, right. Uh, a tight resource, you know, they're, 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 it's a, it's a limited commodity, right? right at that You're point. not there's you can't find many people that are like sitting around no. like waiting for something yeah. to do. <laughs> I like yeah, exactly. <laughs> so no one's twiddling their thumbs. So um, you know, so from a project management standpoint, it was it's it's tough to simply bring on a project manager and say, okay, you know, run this project for me. Right. It's like it's kind of like. Well, that's fine, but the, the the project manager doesn't get any traction, mm -hmm. right? It's like, okay, here are your goals. Here's what you got to do. But then people are like, oh, I don't have time to do it. And you're always kind of the, the project manager is always just fighting to 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 agree on on the timeline. And then people always have excuses for why they can't deliver on the timeline. Right. So you know where we've found um, what we've done over the last ten years, especially in, well. I'll speak specifically for my case is that, you know, I've project managed pretty much all of our technological implementations. Mm -hmm. And the key for me is, is that the project manager in aviation specifically needs to be someone who can get their hands dirty. 
Sure. You know, and really not just be the the person there sitting and saying, okay, guys, here's the plan. Now, you know, go make it happen right. and then sending follow-up emails. It's like, okay, as project manager, you know, perhaps you, you need to understand the tool right. in detail. You need to understand the value proposition that it brings. You have to understand what the core functionality is. And then on top of that, it's like, okay, well, how about you get your hands dirty and, you know, oh, here's here's a couple of tasks on like creating the user base or right. setting up workflows or stuff like that. And, you know, that's what I did at, mm-hmm. at Execare is is I I took the bull by the horns, I guess, and I was project managing it in a sense where I built a plan, but I also was the guy mostly doing almost all the tasks. The ta- and the testing and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Or I would Or I would, you know, sit with the person who was supposed to do it and say, okay, you know, we got to do this now. I right. understand the product you need to you need to tell me your job or what you do and sure you know and and we kind of designed it that way so I, it was kind of like a direct project manager like in right. in the in the in the pro you know get your hands dirty i guess sure. is the best way to say it sure yeah for sure and i know you know as um as technology is advancing and uh one of the other things that continues to you know I guess you could say advance, maybe evolve is the better term, <laughs> but is around safety. Yeah. And so I'm sure that you have your hands as in, in being in flight ops, being a, a pilot. How how do you see things changing over the last few years in regards to safety and SMS programs? And um, what have you been doing to, to keep up with all that? Well, that's a great question. It's another one of those apps. It's another one of those. It is processes that just adds more and more to, you know, everybody, everybody's workload. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, safety, safety is, 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 you know, core, 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 core to what we do. Mm -hmm. Every time we make a decision in flight ops, you know, we have management of change protocols in terms of, you know, identifying risks in what we're doing. You know, we brought in fuel links, uh, into the organization and, you know, fuel links is a fuel planning tool and tankering system, right? right? Well, at the, at, when you look at it just on its face, it's like, oh, well, you're going to save money on fuel. You know, great. Right. But when you actually dig deeper on the safety side, it's like, okay, well, so we're going to start telling pilots, you know, when to take fuel, when not to take fuel. And it's like, okay, well, there's, there's certain there's a risk associated with that, mm-hmm. right? It's like, well, does the fuel links program take into consideration runway performance? No, it mm-hmm. doesn't. So it will give you, and maybe that is the future for fuel links, right? right? Is is the ability to integrate with runway performance so that you're not telling the you know the the the, the pilot to take full fuel off of a uh, off of a you know a wet runway, right? On a short sure. runway, sure. Right? Um, you know, it doesn't exceed its max takeoff weight, but it exceeds its weight for the run rate performance that you're, that you're on, mm-hmm. you know, so there's definitely risk components to the technology, uh, technological implementation there, but you know, there's critical value on the business side, you know, fuel is by far the biggest expense on, of an air operator, um, you know, other than, you know, the human resource aspect of it, but it, certainly fuel is, is the most expensive uh, piece and, you know, we have to plan it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a business aspect to it, which is we need to make sure that we're, you know, we're tankering fuel when it's cheap, you know, so, sure. you know, we never ever fuel in Boston because yeah. fuel is crazy expensive there. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> um, you know, so we, there's a huge business, uh, value there. Um, but then on the flight ops side, we really have to look at managing the risk associated with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so every time we bring in any type of change, we do management of change analyses where we identify the risks and we, 
we develop mitigation plans based on you know how frequent you know how likely it is to occur and then what the consequence of it would be and we have a whole you know risk analysis process uh, associated with that so from that standpoint on the technological side we've we've really since we've implemented so much technology over the last 10 years we've really had to s- sit down and say mm, you know it's not just as simple as you know implementing an app right because right? these things can have real world consequences um you know if it's done too quickly or or you know so on and so forth um so that's definitely one component of safety that we've kind of evolved over the last over the last 10 years for sure um and then you know certainly what we find with safety is it's 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 so influenced by all sorts of different things, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, one of the things that we've really concentrated on over the last, uh, you know, f- well, since the app came out is really improving our communication flows between everybody in the organization, right? right? Breaking down these silos of information, connecting people, connecting stakeholders together in a much more collaborative kind of feel. And right. that's kind of version three of the app is that's what it's going to be is it's, it's really kind of the focus is to really build a platform where people can start collaborating more intimately on trips. Um, because, you know, a lot of, some, you know, it's not all the time, but there's certainly safety SMSs based on communication issues. Sure. Right. You know, I didn't know this. I didn't know that. Uh, you should have told me this. You should have told me that. And, um, you know, that's, that, that's operations. Right. You know, communication is the, yeah, <laughs> is, is always been, is always been the key, right. Yep. Uh, the Holy grail of, I guess, uh, air operations has been, you know, effective and efficient communication between mm-hmm. different stakeholders, you know, ground support, pilots, mechanics, uh, the, the client. Right. Um, you know, so we found that, especially with the app, and, and that's one of the big things that the app was designed and intended for in version two, was to bring in this concept of risk analysis into the app. Mm-hmm. So, you know, here we have a list of items which require the pilots to do uh, a, a risk analysis. Sure. Um, and then they have to get it, that risk analysis mitigation plan approved by a chief pilot or the director of flight operations. Um, and, you know, that process used to be in a, another product, mm-hmm. right? But by bringing it now into the app <clears throat> and, you know, version three is going to strengthen this piece of it is we're not just going to have the pilots thinking about risk analysis. We're going to have the customer service team thinking about risk analysis. So if the client comes to you and says, hey, you know what? I want to go into uh, this airport in the Swiss Alps. Right. Oh, Right. Uh, it's not just let's get to the pilot. The pilot will do the risk analysis. It's like okay, bring the concierges now have that culture of saying, hey, right. mm, there's some there's you know there's some runway performance issues here. There's some issues that we have to address. Let's address them right now. Um, you know, let's let's speak with the pilots. Let's get the team together. Let's have that conversation. Right. And so from a from a business aspect, that is really helpful as well, right? And exposing some of these things because. By the time that you know that request comes to customer service, and then it ultimately you know gets communicated then to the pilots, you're talking about potentially you know long time you know elapsing between yeah, between that, and so yeah. being able to communicate with customers right then and there and saying, hey, this we might have some issues with this, or maybe let's think about you know a, another option. Let's say is is yeah. really helpful. Yeah, and you know that's five years ago when I kind of moved into this new position. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of um, a lot of air operators in the past. Um, you know, the kind of how to book your flight was very much a um, 
call center type sure. feel, yeah. right? So, you know, client calls the call center and says, hey, I'm blah, 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 for tail, blah, 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 book me this trip, mm-hmm. right? And then the call center would go, well, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, no problem, blah, blah, blah. Here's your client itinerary, right? right. And, and then that client itinerary would kind of flow through the company until it got to someone who had the wherewithal to say, hmm, no, we can't do that. Right. So five years ago, when I came in, we implemented a new concept uh, called, we call it the Flake Concierge concept. And what we did is, is essentially we went out to market and we said, we need to hire really good people. We need to pay them very well. We need to make this a career position. Mm-hmm. This is not something we want turnover in. We want these people to have a lot of air operation experience. We want them to stick around. We want them to build a relationship with the client, build a relationship with the pilots. Um, so we really implemented that. And you know that kind of goes to the safety aspect as well, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, now we went from having these very junior entry-level positions speaking with our clients about their trip um, and not necessarily having 10, 15 years of operational experience behind right. them. Um, so there's obviously, to your point, there's a business impact there by mm-hmm. not being able to kind of, you know, um, support our clients appropriately. But also on the flip side, there's a safety issue there as well, because these people, you know, the, the entry level positions, they don't necessarily have that experience to be able to identify safety risks um, until they get to the pilots. Right. So, you know, that's, that's definitely something that we did as well as we made that, we brought all of that kind of risk and um, risk identification and mitigation process right. a lot earlier in our, in our kind of flow, our trip flow. Yeah. You know, and the app was, the app was definitely key there because now as soon as the pilot is assigned to the trip, there's a whole kind of thing they have to do. They have to go in, they have to acknowledge that they've been assigned as the pilot in command and as the SIC of this trip. And then from there, they can go in and then they, they look at the trip and then they can uh, declare risk analyses right in the app. Um, you know, so it's it's kind of all integrated now, um, which has, you know, helped us, uh, I think, significantly. Yeah, uh, very cool. I know in... Um and talking, you know, you mentioned fueler links. I know the other thing that we want to touch on was a bit about sustainability. And maybe you could talk about, you know, your approach to that and exec air and, and what you guys are doing in regards to sustainability. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, um, again, one of your guests on your show, I mean, he had mentioned that, uh, that uh, you know, corporate aviation always has an optic issue mm-hmm. um, when it comes to, you know, especially it's been accentuated now with the, you know, the the carbon emission issue and, and climate change and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, and rightfully or wrongly. Yeah, sure. Okay, I think there's, sure. there's certainly, there's certainly aspects to it that are correct. And I think there are certainly narratives to that that are that are ill-informed. Mm-hmm. Um, but or nonetheless- Politically it, motivated. <laughs> politically maybe. motivated perhaps yeah. and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, but, you know, there is definitely, there is definitely merit to some, to, to the argument of, of, of being more cautious and, and in, in how we operate our aircraft from a sustainability standpoint. Um, and, uh, you know, Exec Air's put a lot of thought recently into this because, of course, you know, uh, 20, uh, 2019 uh, was the, or 2018 was the launch year for uh, Corsia, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, it's, an, it's an acronym. It's a I know long, it, that's a long one. <laughs> it, I, know it, I know it off by heart, but I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to make a mistake, but everybody's going to understand what Corsia is, Yeah. Um, which is, you know, the ICAO kind of. Uh, international carbon monitoring and carbon offsetting program. Right. 
Um, all major countries have signed on to this, including the United States and Canada and so on and so forth. So, you know, every year we have to report on our carbon emissions for our fleet. Um, and there's kind of three phases to that. So the, there's the first phase that ended uh, last year, I think. And then we have the third phase or the second phase that's coming, that's going to finish in 2023. And then the first, the final phase is carbon offsetting, where we actually, now we've monitored carbon emissions for about a five-year period. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, okay, well, now we have to start offsetting uh, that carbon. So um, that's kind of where we're coming up to. Um, so, and you know, Corsia has its has its advantages, it has its disadvantages, and it's 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 a good thing, though. Mm-hmm. In the end of the day, it's a good thing um, for operators to I- identify what our carbon emissions are, and and really. You know, for for in general, generally speaking, for example, on the airline side, the airlines have been doing carbon emission monitoring for a long time, and you know, even before Corsia came out, mm-hmm. and you know, it's it's no secret that carbon emissions have a huge business uh, impact as well because. <laughs> if you increase your emissions, it's because either you're growing, which is great, right. or you're buying a whole bunch of gas. Right. So, you know, airlines in general are be like, well, we need to buy the least amount of fuel possible to do the mission we want to do. So just mm-hmm. by that nature of that business relationship, they've always been p- trying to push or, you know, to buy less fuel, make, mm-hmm. f- make aircraft more fuel efficient. And they've right. pushed the OEMs to really step up their game in terms of, hey, you know, you need to make your aircraft more fuel efficient because fuel, again, is the number one cost to an airline. So that in itself, so we were essentially trying to be sustainable. Anyway. Anyways. Right. Um, it's just now, now we have Corsia to say, hey, by the way, it's now, it's more than that. It's now not just a financial calculation. Now it's like, hey, by the way, you need to be, you know, a good steward of the environment and you need to do things to improve, uh, you know, to control carbon emissions. Um, you know, so for Executive, that's what we've started doing. I mean, um, we have, uh, we're in the process of finalizing our carbon credit program. So clients will be able to purchase carbon credits from us and, uh, you know, that will that will offset the Cor- Corsia. A lot of our clients had been offsetting carbon well before uh, the Corsia program yeah. anyways, yeah. as most corporations, uh, they have carbon offsetting programs already uh, for their operation and aircraft are part of that. So they were just offsetting them anyways. Um, so, you know, we're doing that. We're also, again, we brought fuel links in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the goal of fuel links is to, um, you know, it has, there's obviously a business value to it, which is, you know, mine fuel effectively. In the right uh, places. In the right places, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. Um, but there certainly also is uh, an aspect to managing sustainable aviation fuels. Mm-hmm. You know, where can we get sustainable aviation fuels? Uh, how costly are they? Uh, how do we, you know, are, you know, we've we've talked to our clients about, you know, do you want, you know, SAFs are, are very expensive. Right. I mean, we're talking probably twice the cost of normal fuel. So there's a cost associated with that to our clients. And, you know, we've, we've started looking at ways to, you know, bring sustainability fuels into our home bases where our aircraft are based mm. and try and, okay. and I think that for us is going to be the biggest effect 
because it's tough when you're away from base to manage SAFs um, because number one, you have to ensure the specification and the certification of it, right? It's right. not just, uh, you know, the guy can go start selling SAFs yeah. <laughs> on the corner of the street, sure. right? There's a whole thing to it, <laughs> right? So you actually have to verify that it's an actual SAF and that it's certified and that it's good to put in your airplane. You're putting right. fuel in a, in a, you know, a $40 million airplane. You don't want it to be, you know, whatever. Sure. Um, you know, so um, with Furlinks, that's kind of what we've been managing. But, you know, we've also been really trying to put an effort on getting SAFs at our home bases. Um, but the reality is, uh, unfortunately, at this point, is that the global supply chain of fuel has not kept up with with that, right? There's just, sure. there's not enough SAF. There's not enough distribution channels for SAF in the market. So it's very challenging to find SAF mm-hmm. and to and to source it. And in Canada, we have a big problem with that. It's very difficult to find SAF. It's, right. it's just not available logistically. It's not available sure. in the market. Um, so that's been tough, but we've been putting a lot of effort into trying to find ways to do that. And, you know, on the flight ops side, you know, we have started looking at ways to evaluate pilot decision-making mm-hmm. and, and flight planning, you know? So, um, you know, we did an analysis uh, about our Challenger fleet. You know, we have a huge Challenger fleet in, Montre- in, in Canada. We have about, uh, I think, 12 Challenger 605, 604. So it's okay. a pretty, you know, yeah, pretty sizable fleet, fleet um, of aircraft that, uh, so it's like, okay, well, what if we, you know, Challengers usually fly along at Mach 8.0. Okay, well, so what... What would happen if we slowed the airplanes down to Mach 77 mm-hmm. or Mach 78? Right. right? Um, because, I mean, most people, you know, it's the effect of speed on fuel consumption is huge. Huge. Yeah. It's huge. Between 8.0 and 8.3 or 8.2, right? right? Uh, you know, it's huge difference in fuel consumptions, mm. but not a huge difference in time. Mm. So, you know, we were, we've started looking at ways to say, hey, you know, Mr. Client, um, you know, would you would you be willing to fly your aircraft now at Mach seven seven? Right. And over the year, that will equate to whatever amount of time it is. Uh, you know, maybe I think we I can't remember what the the exact details of the analysis were, but um, you know, they would they would spend X amount more time in the airplane. Sure. <laughs> but you would save X amount of pounds of fuel, and and you know, there's obviously a business aspect to that, but there's also the sustainability aspect to mm-hmm. that. So you know, we've looked at doing that, um, and of course, <clears throat> you know, we've been working with uh, with with uh, with Nav Canada and various different ATC networks because, you know, one of the worst things that you can do in an, in an aircraft is have these kind of you know. Uh, New York style approaches where you're 200 miles from the airport and they have you down at like 3000 feet. Right. Blowing yeah. along. <laughs> right. And you're just like burning gas and, and, and stuff like that. So, you know, we've, we've, we've worked with the MBAA and with the CBAA and trying to find ways to say, Hey guys, like, can you, can you plan your arrivals better so that it's a constant descent profile? So the aircraft, you're not, you know, the pilots are not yeah. jamming the throttles every five seconds to mm-hmm. try and, you know, do speed restrictions or whatever, yeah. um, you know, make it more effective. And that's been, you know, Canada's has been really behind on on constant descent profile approaches, it's it's really a problem. The U.S. is much better at it. Um, you know, I got it to I flew into Palm Beach the other day, and they said, "Okay, well, you're clear via the Captain One arrival into Palm Beach. Perfect." And we were way back at forty thousand feet at that mm-hmm. point. And all we do is we say, "Okay, the bottom altitude is four thousand feet on the approach." We set the airplane up. The airplane calculates a constant descent profile, and we flew a constant descent profile with a constant uh, N1 value pretty much the whole way down. Um, and you know, but the, like 
in isolation, that may not mean a huge amount. Sure. But if you multiply that by the amount of aircraft movements. Yeah, all the flights out. You're yeah, talking sure. huge changes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know, continue with the ATC issue is that, uh, you know, the North Atlantic airspace is, is becoming more uh, flexible in terms of routing. Right. Um, because of the in, uh, implementation of uh, space-based ADSB. Mm-hmm. So now the, you know, Shanwick and Gander, they have space-based ADSB. So they've been able to, to reduce the separation between aircraft. And, you know, we've all, we're started to see they've gotten rid of um, uh, the nat tracks. So uh, below three, 33,000 feet, they've got rid of the nat tracks. Mm-hmm. And uh, during COVID, they had gotten rid of the nat tracks completely. So, which means essentially you can fly whatever route you right, want. sure. And, you know, even though the nat tracks were, <clears throat> when they're built uh, every day, they're kind of designed to take advantage of the current winds and effect and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, you know, random route flying is always better. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, you know, on the ATC side, you know, we're working with, uh, with, with stakeholders to, to, to t- kind of really press them on, you know, improving the, the design of arrivals and approaches and airspace management and all that kind of stuff, right. because that really makes a huge difference. Sure. Um, you know, we've also implemented technology recently, which is the version three of the app that's coming out in the summer is uh, the ability to more proactively identify delays. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, FlightAware launched recently their um, uh, FlightAware Foresight program, um, which is essentially, um, you know, and people think of FlightAware, it's funny. I, people think of FlightAware as like a s- nice software company that, you know, does these nice little aviation maps. maps and all kinds yeah. Of stuff. <laughs> but it, it really is a lot more than that. It is a yeah. data warehouse. Like it is just, it is a data company. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've realized that clearly, yeah, which is sure. great. Sure. So it's like, um, you know, they have tons and tons and tons and tons of data. They can tell, and with Foresight, what they're, what apparently we we're still in the implementation phase of that. Um, they're able to identify based on weather patterns and time of day and uh, various different things, you know, what kind of delays an airport will be uh, experiencing. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Um, and if you tie that in with the FAA program, which identifies delays based on weather and stuff like that, you can really build a pretty good, hey, you know, going in there, you're going to have a 30 minute delay. Right. And so we find that super important from a sustainability issue because, you know, everybody, you know, I've done this before and shame on me and shame on a whole bunch of pilots as we go, you know, we take off out of Teterboro and we know there's going to be delays going out of Teterboro. We right. know. But we jump in the airplane, we spool up two jet engines and we sit there on the ramp and we're just, <laughs> bzzz, yeah. right? Just burning gas. Yeah. And, and um, so, you know, so there's that aspect to it, but there's also the client aspect to it, which is critically important as well, is that, you know, these people, the, the our clients are CEOs, right. uh, chairs of the board, uh, you know, people where time is extremely valuable to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they don't want to be sitting on the ramp in Teterboro for 30 minutes waiting either. Right. So, you know, what we're trying to accomplish uh, is the ability to say, hey, by the way, um, there's a forecast at 30 minute delay in Teterboro. Mm-hmm. So if you move your departure by 30 minutes or an hour or two hours, there will be no more delay. Right. So take, you know, go for dinner, uh, take your time, uh, stay overnight, uh, you know, give the client the information to be able to make 
perhaps a decision, a more informed decision mm-hmm. so that they don't have to sit in a delay that they don't need to. Right. You know, so if you, if you group all of these things together in terms of sustainability, I think that's a pretty good way to, because everything that's outside of that is becomes things that are not necessarily um, things that we can really impact. So right. um, OEM technology, you know, the advent of hydrogen aircraft and stuff like that, like that, that is, that is the key. Right. That will have the biggest impact on sustainability, but it's not something that's in our control other than then voicing our opinions to the OEMs to say, hey, we'd be interested in these things are are super important for us. And going back to one of your first points around like talking with customers and and discussing changes to flight profiles that could have an impact in regards to sustainability. I've talked to a bunch of people and there's, there's concerns that people have around you know, our customers just want to get from point A to point B as fast as possible. They don't want to hear about all this stuff. They don't care. <laughs> I'm interested to learn, like, if you've had those conversations, you know, how, what's been the approach and have you seen success in that? Yeah, I, I mean, it's an <clears throat> it's an optional program, mm, right? right? So sure. it really is, you know, we do have clients, um, you know, more, more, uh, more US-based clients, say, um, you know, that are, you know, agree- agreed. I mean, they're, they want to get in a, in a private aircraft and they want to get to A to B as soon mm-hmm. as possible. And Only no, the Americans oh, are interested in that. <laughs> predominantly. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, you know, people are, people are smart and they understand that, that, um, you know, the, the environmental piece to the puzzle is going to be for, here forever right. for a lo- in the long run. Um, and, you know, perhaps they don't use it on, in every case, right. perhaps, you know, if they're going on vacation and it will cost them extra five minutes to save a thousand pounds of fuel, well, maybe they'll do it then. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not necessarily to force people into making the decision. It's to give them the, the data to be right. able to educate make, them on right options. What, what is available to you to impact yeah. your, you know, because that's really what it is, you know, on a, I think, uh, on a flight, you know, from Montreal to to California, it's about, uh, it's about a thousand, 1500 pounds for about five minutes, mm-hmm. five, six minutes. So like, if you put that into context, I mean, a thousand pounds of jet fuel is a lot. Yeah. It's, it's huge. A, it's a lot, you know, so for five minutes. Right. Right. I mean, that's the time to, you know, I don't know, go get a coffee, you know? Mm-hmm. So the, the reality is, is, is like, but you know, at some points there are times where clients say, no, I got to get there now. So, right. you know, we go at eight two. Yeah. And that's the reality of the industry. And that's what our industry is based on. But but we need to provide that data to the client so that they can make the decision at the at that point. Right. right? It's, 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 um, that's to me the, the best approach. Sure. Cool. Well, sounds like you got a lot of, uh, a lot of different things going on. Yeah, um, we're, uh, we're early in 2022. I guess any, any particular things that you're focused on or new things coming from exec air that you want to touch on? Well, you know, I mean, we talked about the version through the app and, yeah. uh, you know, a, a real push to in, in, embed collaborative technology in there and, and bring our teams together and our, our stakeholders together. Um, that's, that's key for us. Um, you know, we, we, you know, as a management company, we're continuing to transition from, you know, a lot of management companies, they believe that they are flight operations companies. Mm-hmm. We are. 
but I, I tend to think our, of Exacare, um, me personally, I think of Exacare, we are a customer service company with a flight operations group. Sure. Right? Uh, and, and we are you know, continuing to find ways to improve our client's experience, curate that experience, um, you know, build something that they want, that they like. Um, and that's, that's, that's key for us uh, going forward in this year. You know, sustainability, we talked about, we're going to continue to push programs like that. But like I said, there's a lot of roadblocks in the industry about just not having access to certain things sure. and, and not necessarily having power on, on certain aspects. Um, you know, and we're, we're, we're really pushing the growth of the charter sales market. I mean, it's been unbelievable the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, last couple of years, let's put it this way excluding the pandemic, right? okay, uh, or early in the pandemic, uh, you know, the charter market for the people's request for charter aircraft has gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. It's not going to stop. It's, it's people, people want to fly privately. Um, and, you know, there's a huge value proposition of private flying. I mean, I, it, I flew on the airlines the other day. I fly on the airlines a lot and I have never enjoyed that experience ever. Um, you know, delays, canceled flights, getting reassigned, not being able to talk to anybody. Um, you know, we, at one point during the during the pandemic, Air Canada shut their entire phone system down, so you couldn't you couldn't even call them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, yeah, it is an absolutely horrible experience, and um, you know, so private aviation is 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 kind of you know people who have access to the the capital to do it is yeah. is really going to be here for a long time. It's yeah. it's going to grow. So, you know, we're we're gearing up for that. We're gearing up for the logistical challenges that that's going to entail. Um, and, uh, but like I said, I mean, you know, we've had historical charter numbers in the last, uh, couple yeah. of years and, uh, it's going to continue, I think. Cool. Well, thank you for stopping by. It's I, always I appreciate you, uh, coming through and giving, uh, some great details about your experiences. I think, um, I always appreciated working with you and, and connecting on all this great stuff. And, uh, I think that, um, it's helpful for others to hear about your approach to all the different things that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. Yes. Yep. I'm glad it actually worked out uh, face-to-face. Yeah, for sure. We've right? been planning this for uh, a couple months <laughs> you now. Know, with the remote working has been good, but yeah. uh, there's nothing that uh, replaces uh, face-to-face interaction. Uh, we've learned that through the pandemic uh, that you, you know, working completely remotely is, is not successful no. in the long run. And yeah. uh, so I'm super happy that I was able to come see you face to face, yeah. discuss these topics. I really love what you guys are doing here with the, uh, with the, uh, growth podcast. And, and, and I've uh, been a, uh, big uh, listener, uh, over the last couple of months. So, uh, I'm, I'm hope you guys continue along with that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. maybe in a couple of years I'll be back yeah, with, for uh, sure. with, uh, with new <laughs> things. So anyways, thanks Greg. Yeah. Thank you. All right.